You're listening to Special Features, the only podcast on the internet about popular culture. My name is Cameron James, and you, young fellow in the pink shirt with the brown <laughs> piping and the Adidas Leaf logo, what would your name be? Hang on, I'm looking around. Could he possibly be me? Is he talking about I'm me? I'm talking about you, young fellow. Who, me? Young Gravy. Yes, I am. Well, oh, sorry. I thought we could have talked about, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I know I'm the only one here, but surely I didn't know you were talking to me. Well, my name is Alexi Toliopoulos. I'm a lover of cinema, mm. film, and of course, popular culture at large. And it is my pleasure to be talking to you, Cameron James. Yeah. Now, when you say you're a lover of popular culture at large, what about at medium or at small? Um, medium with Patricia Arquette. I did like it. Then that's part of popular culture. I did quite like it. And Small Soldiers, the Joe Dante movie. Yeah, I like. You that. like that too. So I've liked most things. I've liked popular culture at most of its sizes. If you saw Patricia Arquette going into a nightclub, would you say Patricia Arquette? Medium. I liked it. I might go CSI Cyber. I might go CSI Cyber for Patricia. <laughs> CSI Cybersex? Oh, honey, that's a good porno parody. <laughs> I think we could make upwards of $45,000 if we made that. I'd love to make porno parodies. I would love that so much. <laughs> oh, God, I hope it was my bread and butter one day. My bread, butter, and young gravy. <laughs> Well, on the podcast today, Cameron, we will be doing a little bit of a what have you been watching Mm. catch up. Mm. We're going to be talking about some things, some films, some, you know, dare I say the dirtiest word of all time, content that we have been viewing. I hate that word. Content. We're talking content. Content creators such as Martin Scorsese. Oh, he's one of my favorite content creators. I watched a movie that was content created by him recently. What was it? I watched a movie called After Hours. I hadn't seen it for a couple of years, but I just got my grubby little mitts on the new Criterion 4K Blu-ray release. And I would say this. I love this movie more and more every time I come to it. I think Whoa. it is probably the... Well, yeah, I'm walking <laughs> I, don't you know that about Jeez me? Always. I find every movie extremely erotic and just the act of placing a disc into the disc tray, hitting that little play button. My God. I am fucking rubbing my penile <laughs> area. The, the whole area? Time. The whole area? The whole area. I've got both hands going, <laughs> oh my God, I'm rubbing stuff. I'm rubbing it all. <laughs> But I would say that After Hours, I think, is probably the definitive nocturnal life cycle movie. I just really think it is. It it captures the vibe of the city in only the way an urban dweller such as Marty S. could do. Because he kind of makes it feel like a small town. Mm. And I think that's the kind of thing that any other person would not do. Like, you'd be kind of looking up the skyscrapers and capturing that vibe. But he makes the city feel really small and weird and bizarre and magical, and I think that's it. And what I love about it every time that I come back to it is it just has... 
and ink, and I'm I am getting into it. I do complete by the end of the movie. I do complete. It's got the incredible cast of actors that just feel so perfectly placed. Have you ever seen After Hours? I have a confession to make. I have never seen After Hours. Fuck. Cameron, you will love it. Okay, come over Whoa. sometime soon because I would love an excuse to watch it again and <laughs> join Good me Lord. in coming together and watching <laughs> After <hell>. Hours. <laughs> Please, 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 please. I want to w- sit next to you as we both rub our areas we'll, while watching after We will hours. mutually enjoy it together. <laughs> Mate, I think you would love it. Let me tell you who's in this movie. It's got uh, Patricia's sister, Rosanna Arquette, oh, wow. Linda Fiorentino, mm. Terry Garr, mm. John Hurd, yeah. Tommy Chong, Cheech Marin, Catherine O'Hara. What the heck? Is that how the McAllisters met on the dirty <laughs> streets of New York City? John Hurd and Catherine O'Hara? Griffin Dunn is uh, the lead. Yes. Bronson Pinchot's in it for like two seconds. Dick Miller, Victor Argo, many, many more people that are less famous than the ones I've already mentioned. That's exciting. That's exciting stuff. I've, it's actually been on my list for a long time. I've never gone in on it. I think I heard mixed things early Whoa. on. <laughs> you don't need to go in on this thing. <laughs> go around on it. Um, yeah. I'd like to watch it. I think you've just pushed me over the edge to climax. So I think. Whoa! <laughs> oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! But I would say this, the thing that all those performers can do that I listed is that they have like a, they can channel warmth Mm. really nicely. Pretty much all of those people, except for Linda Fiorentino, I think she's awesome and cold. That's why I love her. But they can all flip that on a dime and become quite menacing. Mm. And that's the power of After Hours. It's all of that. I should watch it. Uh, I've got a movie that I'd like to recommend to you if you have not already seen it. Um, Mm -hmm. I've been doing a bunch of very, very low budget indie films of late, um, because I have been inspired by micro budget films for some stuff that I've been working on. And I like to see what is possible with limited money in your bank account for the things you want to make. And, uh, this movie has been sitting on my list on Netflix the entire time that I've had Netflix, like for fucking six years. I think I saw the tile six years ago, added it to my list, have never watched it. And then a few nights ago, I thought, you know what? Fuck it. It's only Today's it's only going to be 80 minutes. Its number came up. <laughs> You're like, holy shit, it's Mordecai night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Finally, my Mordecai it's number time came to watch up, Mordecai. But it was not Mordecai. <laughs> It was a. It's a movie <laughs> produced by the Duplass brothers, starring one of the Duplass brothers. I knew it brothers. had to be. Um, Jay is in it. Oh shit! Um, it's called Manson Family Vacation, and oh, oh, fuck! That is a throwback to the early days of Netflix. Have you ever seen that tile pop up when you're scrolling for something of to look course. at? Of course, it's been in my list for most of my life. I reckon I, now. I recommend watching it. Um, I really think you'd get a kick out of it. It's Starring Jay Duplass and this actor, writer, comedian called Linus Phillips, who I have seen before because he is in one episode of Eastbound and Down in, oh, I think, okay. the third season. When Do you remember the episode where they go to like a water park and they're all drinking and smoking mm. weed at a water park and 
Kenny's flirting yep. with this girl and the girl's creepy brother is hanging around. He's this weird dude <laughs> with nunchucks and Oakleys and he's like smoking weed and budgie smugglers in the pool. Anyway, he's that actor who I had never seen wow. in anything else and he is the co-lead of this movie and I've become a bit obsessed with him. He's like a really fascinating creator from America who has made a few micro-budget films himself, writer, actor, director of them. Anyway, this movie is really cool. It's uh, it's such a fun premise. It's about these two brothers who are sort of estranged, um, who yeah. decide to spend a weekend together to kind of patch up their relationship and their friendship. One of them, uh, Nick, played by Jay Duplass, is quite a straight-laced fellow who is a family man and obsessed with his own family and being a, being a good dad. The other brother, played by Linus Phillips, is obsessed with the Mansons and oh, wow. one of those conspiracy theorist guys who has many books about Charles Manson and knows where all the murder sites are around LA and, uh, and in the desert and whatnot. And it's just about these two brothers going on a road trip to all the Manson murder sites. Um, oh, wow. It's really fucking cool, really funny, has such a unique tone and does something really interesting by using real life as like the cornerstone for it or the touchstone. And these oh, sorts of guys cool. that are obsessed with true crime and murder and why they are obsessed with those things. It's really cool. I give it a big recommendation. Okay, far out. I might need to finally pull that trigger on that as well. Because it literally has been in my watch list forever. It's like, oh, cool title. Looks like a fun comedy when we still used to make comedies on the big screen. Yeah, totally. I recommended it to Henry Stone the day after I watched it. And then he watched it immediately and sent me a big message about it, about how sick it was. And yeah, it's a real discovery. It's very fun. Fantastic. Well, I've got a couple of comedy watches and re-watches. I've got a pair of faux documentary comedies, also known as mock-you-mentaries. One of them is a classic. One of them is in cinemas now. I might start with the one that is in cinemas now, actually. It is Theatre Camp, and it is co-directed by one of the great modern-day character actors, Molly Gordon and Nick Lieberman. And I didn't even know Molly Gordon directed it until those closing credits rolled. And I actually didn't even know it was a mockumentary until the film started. Have you seen anything about Theatre Camp? Do you know anything about Theatre Camp? Yeah, so when Molly Gordon was in this season of The Bear, I probably did what everyone did and was like, whoa, who is this person? I want to see more of this person. And uh, that was around the time that the trailer for Theatre Camp came out on YouTube. So I've been excited for this movie since then. I'm really pumped to watch it. I love the guy, um, that actor who plays the dumb guy in it. The, like, I don't know the actor's name. Oh, but yeah. he's, uh, he's in a bunch of shit. He's, like, one of those comedy hunk His name dummies. is Jimmy Tatro. <laughs> Jimmy, Jimmy Tatro. Tatro. Yeah, he's fucking yeah. funny, man. I really like that he guy. He's really funny. So, the whole premise of this movie, it is a little bit of, like, a modern take on like a waiting for Guffman type thing. It stars uh, Amy Sedaris as uh, like a the, an owner slash teacher of a theater camp for young people. 
And at the very start of the movie, it's like, you know, the waiting for Guffman type, like observational documentary vibe where you're seeing like, okay, this is the preseason before the camp season kicks off where they're going around casting kids and trying to find kids to like go, hey, come to our summer camp and all that stuff. And she goes to see uh, a child theatre production of Bye Bye Birdie. Mm. And there is some strobe lighting in it that sends her into a seizure and she goes into a coma. Then her dropkick douchebag son, played by Jimmy Tatro, has to take over the theatre camp. And uh, it becomes a documentary where the subject of the documentary goes into a coma the first day of shooting. (laughs) (laughs) They have to kind of continue on with the new subject, which is, like, who are the other people that work at this theatre camp? And most of the cast is, like, people that are kind of linked as being, you know, kind of new wave comedy type people in America right now. It stars Ben Platt and Molly Gordon as best friends who have been theatre teachers for the last 10 years at this camp. Before that, they went to the camp for 10 years and they're kind of like stuck in this arrested development of like what their life is. So it's a little bit of a subplot of Wet Hot American Summer be expanded into a feature film. Mm. Um, It's really cute because it's like these people have been friends their whole lives in real life. You actually see camcorder footage of them in productions at theater camp when they were kids and stuff that is cute. and so it's like it's actually kind of cool when you think about mockumentaries now mm. all these creative types they've got like actually backlogs of stuff that can just be used in yeah. mockumentaries now totally. and it, that that was pretty exciting that was cool you've also got noah galvin who is so funny in this movie he plays like the stage manager who is actually super talented And it kind of, I think, almost mimics like real life where, you know, Ben Platt, his partner in real life is quite, you know, a successful actor and has been in lots of things. Noah Galvin, probably maybe even more talented, but is only in a few films. He's probably Mm. more star of the stage. Patty Harrison is in this. Ayo Adebri is in Mm. this. Um, And everybody is really funny. But the stars are the kids, The kids are so freaking funny and freaking talented that are like these kids at the summer camp. They're just spectacular. And they bring like that, the earnest joy of comedy that only a kid can capture, where they're being completely earnest, but it is fucking hysterical. By the end of this movie, I was like, I had tears in my eyes from both laughing and I was feeling stuff. I thought it was so fun. And by complete chance, as if it were destiny, um, our friend, Fran Rossi Price, was sitting next to me in the cinema. Mm. cinema. She just walked up to the cinema, and it was the same session. We sat next to each other in the darkness. We're like, holy shit, it's you. Hey, dude. Um, And so it was like complete joy. It was a completely joyous experience. My one drawback, and I would say it's something that, you know, I'm I'm hard on because I love faux documentary and, like, the style of documentary so much. There's just some stuff where it's like, this can't be a documentary. Mm. Like, it doesn't... It does... I'm, I find it... When it doesn't... When a faux documentary does not break its spell, I'm really... That's something that's, like, turns me on. I'm rubbing my whole area around that stuff <laughs> and watching this, <laughs> this stuff that just doesn't quite feel like it's in the same tone as documentary or can't it couldn't happen a few too many multicam setups perhaps mm. um but it's real good really really good super funny 
Is that hardest in I've laughed now? in a cinema. It's in cinemas right now oh, as dude. of recording. I will be going to watch that ASAP. I'm going to go this week. Theatre Camp. That's what it's called, right? Theatre Camp. Theatre Camp. Oh, hell yeah. I'll be going. I'll go this week. I'm so excited to see that. That looks sick. What else has been on your rotation? What have you been rubbing your way through? <laughs> oh, man, I finally watched something that... I reckon you watched years ago. I feel like you watched it years ago. Because I remember... I have a vague memory of you and Henry talking about this in like 2017. Wow, okay. <laughs> Ancient history, mate. And uh, and me being like, fuck, that sounds so cool. I have to watch this movie. And then just adding, doing exactly the same thing as I did with Manson Family Vacation adding it to the list and never, ever clicking on it. Um, but my number came up and I finally watched I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore. Oh, yeah. I think we, Henry and I must have done a Blank Slate podcast on it. Yeah, it's um, written, it's directed by Macon Blair's Blair. film. Yep, yeah, Blair. Elijah Woods and Melanie, Melanie Linsky. Linsky. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I remember it. Great movie. It's fucking dope. It's so cool. I can't believe it took me this long to watch it. It's got such a cool vibe about it. I mean, like, the premise is incredibly simple. It's a a lady played by Melanie Linsky who lives by herself in, like, small town, like, Oregon or something like that in America. Um, Her house is broken into and the police don't do anything about it. And so she partners up with her weird neighbor, played by Elijah Wood, and they kind of decide to become vigilantes and just get her stuff back. So it's very small stakes. Like, she just wants her Mm. laptop back and, like, some jewelry that was stolen from her place. But that one decision to take matters into their own hands leads them into a world that they're just unprepared for. Like, they come across low-level gangsters and some kind of weird traveling people. Like, the there's, like, mm. this small group of criminals that sort of live in the woods and have vans and they just drive around and skim from people and take, take people's possessions and sell them at yard sales and shit like that. It's all... It's such a weird, odd little world and there's touches of... It never quite goes there, but there's touches of, like, Satanism or something going mm. on amongst it all as there's well. There's something there. There's something there. Yeah, it's really... I remember really being so impressed by the script and kind of how I it kept subverting my expectations of where the narrative was leading to. I, I think it was very clever, and it was kind of hot off the heels of Macon Blair's collaborations with Jeremy Saulnier's, like... Green Room and Blue Ruin had come out before it. So, yeah. I remember at that time, Henry and I were, like, very keen to, like, what Macon Blair was up to. And I remember Henry emailed Macon. Yeah, I remember that too. They were, t- they were chatting for a little while. Um, yeah, they those two guys are fucking amazing. They're so cool. They've been just plugging away forever, getting little Ooh, things made Henry. when they can. Those no, two guys the, uh, <laughs> no, not you two, not you guys. Uh, <laughs> two Macon best Blair friends. And you don't think Sloan, we're amazing? Yeah. 
<laughs> no, you guys are cool. You're like fine, but <laughs> you haven't made a Netflix movie. Oh no, so. Jeremy's song. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, I really, I was surprised by by this movie. I just didn't, I didn't know anything about mm. it. I'd just seen the poster, and I remember you guys liked it. Uh, yeah, it really fucking blew it. my mind. In fact, I didn't even realize it was making Blair until about twenty minutes into the movie. I was watching it, thinking like fuck, this movie has a vibe. Like, whoever yeah. made this has a voice, like an artistic voice, and they're, they're not just doing a by-the-numbers revenge thriller. Like, this has something special to it. And then Macon Blair pops up in a tiny role in a bar in one scene, and I was like, oh, it must be those guys. And started reading mm. about it and yeah it's just a project that he had been trying to make for years and very exciting he's do you know what he's working on at the moment or it's about to come out yeah, actually the, the trailers i think are soon the trailers will be coming soon it's a remake of the toxic avenger yeah. he's making with you know you know uh Kaufman, lloyd kaufman yeah Troma, Troma films. And legendary legendary films yeah. are making it as well it's peter dinklage in the lead role elijah wood is a villain Pretty fucking mm-hmm. cool. You got Jacob Tremblay, Kevin Bacon, Jane Levy, Taylor Page. I think um, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, so I listened to an interview with him this week uh, on an American podcast where he was kind of plugging this movie American and saying podcast. That- <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Lenny, <laughs> Lenny Kravitz style. <laughs> he uh, he's. A big trauma guy. He loves splatter. He mm. loves gore. Um, you can see a fair bit of that in I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore. There's the day, the climax of this movie is bloody and splattery, and there's fucking shit going on. It's gory as hell. Yeah. It, it really took me by surprise. And so, with that in mind, using that as a like test run for what he's going to do with the toxic. Avenger, I think it's going to be fucking cool and dark and bloody. <laughs> I think there's going to be a lot of That's fluids awesome. going on in that movie. It's going to be cool. Yeah. I, they've released some kind of pictures of Elijah Wood's character as the villain. And uh, I'm all in. I'm all in. He looks um, he looks like the fucking penguin. He, like Danny DeVito as the penguin. Yeah, like, that's he looks disgusting. Yeah, it's gross. <laughs> it looks awesome. I can't wait to see it. Uh, I'm really, really looking forward to his remake of the Toxic Avenger. Me too. And anyone who hasn't watched, I don't feel at home in this world anymore. Big recommend coming for that one. Mm. And off the I off the back of that, I rewatched Blue Ruin again. You know, I'm back in that world. I'm fully loving it. Yeah, and Macon's been popping up. He's in Oppenheimer. And Henry and I went to go see a film at the Sydney Underground Film Festival uh, called... Um, it's got Crumholtz in it. Uh, I can't remember the name of the movie, but Macon Blair popped up and we just started nudging each other. Like, <laughs> Macon, Macon. <laughs> we love Macon. The final movie that I want to talk about, or the other mockumentary, um, it is one I hadn't seen since I was a freaking teenager, the Australian faux documentary, Kenny. Mm. Kenneth. And Kenneth, Kenneth the Toilet Cleaner, I hadn't seen it for a really long time, but I'm working on a project at the moment that is about Australian cinema. So I'm re-watching a lot of films that I love, 
discovering films for the first time, interviewing a lot of people, and uh, I got pushed back into Kenny World, and I hadn't thought about it for a long time. And tell you the thing that surprised me the most, Cam, about revisiting Kenny, mm. I loved it back then, but watching it now, I truly was shocked by how much that it never breaks the spell of it being a documentary. It yeah. never, ever does, especially because it's like pre-Borat as well. Mm. And I remember that like, you know, all the marketing was like Shane Jacobs in character as Kenny. And I think it almost was kind of pushed into this world with it being just a documentary. And I feel like if it didn't become so famous and Shane Jacobs and becoming so famous from the movie and being like kind of like everywhere, it would have... You, you could watch it now and you would be so convinced of it being an actual documentary. It nev- literally never breaks a spell. It's always shot like a documentary. It is... It, it just feels completely real. And all the gags are kind of like... The gags are buried. Like, Kenny's just a funny guy. But then, like, all these gags are, like, so underplayed. Like, the funniest part of the movie that I burst out laughing is when Kenny goes to visit his dad and his dad's, like, trying to get him to get changed. He doesn't want his shit stuff, like, in his house because he's, like, so anal. But then there's just a moment where he cuts back to Kenny. He's wearing a robe. And the camera just pans down for, like, half a second to show that he's got his feet resting on two paper towels because (laughs) his dad doesn't even want his feet on the floor there. (laughs) And it just, like, is so underplayed, so funny. And um, I actually talked to Clayton Jacobson, the director, about it. And he was telling me something that kind of blew my mind. Like, what do you think was, like, the great inspiration for Kenny? What do you think it would have been? Uh, I don't know. I guess, like, a guy that works in Portaloos that they saw or something? I don't know. The actual thing was, like, it was a documentary. It's a famous documentary. And he was just kind of like, yeah, I saw this documentary. I always It stuck with me forever. And it was what I kept coming back to when I was thinking about Kenny. And he said that it's based on American movie. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. And as soon as he said that, it was a complete unlocking of the film for me. It was just like, yeah, he was pretty much based on the guy from American movie's best friend. was like where I wanted to kind of, where I drew some inspiration from in kind of like finding the kind of movie I wanted to make with Kenny, which is like, you know, a sentimentalist comedy that is really funny, really sweet, really human, but like complete, it's it's so underplayed to how I remembered it. I haven't watched it in such a long time, but yeah, I loved it. Loved it back in the day. I'm probably due mm. for a rewatch of it. It's, um, I mean, it's a fucking classic. And Shane, Truly, if you're listening, mate, I love, I love it. I love your stuff. I love it. I'd love to watch yeah. it again. And I would say the same thing too. Shane, if you're listening, I love it. I love your stuff, mate. And Brothers Nest by the two brothers as well. Jacobson Brothers. Cam, if you've never seen it, you will fucking love it. It's like a Coen Brothers movie. Yeah, it's, it's the one with really Kim Gingell in it, right? Yeah, Kim Gingell. And Kim Gingell was out of this world in it. It's a fucking great movie. Sick. It's It would be a good pairing with the Macon Blair. Um, I don't feel I've whatever. I don't feel at home in this world anymore, whatever it's called. Yeah, sick. Good pairing. Good pairing of small, little, thrillery, independent genre pictures. Hell yeah. 
And you had one more, did you say? Well, I mean, it's a rewatch, so I'm not 100% counting it, but staying on theme for like relatively low budget films, I rewatched probably for the first time since it came out in 2011 the Duplass Brothers movie, Jeff Who Lives at Home. I don't know if you've ever seen that Ooh, one. Yeah, I've seen almost everything that they've made. Well, they they haven't made many films. You know what's weird about those guys? They've broken up as a filmmaking duo. Did you know mm. that? Well, they don't make stuff together anymore. They like, haven't made a movie know? since this one. That was the last one they made. Shit, really. that was the last one. Can I, I think I could name every Duplass Brothers directorial movie. I reckon you could. I'm going to try it. The Puffy Chair. Yes. Baghead. Yes. Cyrus. Yes. Uh, Jeff, who lives at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dodecapentathlon. Mm-hmm. Um, am I missing That's it. something? That's all That's of everything. Them. That's all of them. Wow. <laughs> yeah, wow. they've kind of like quietly retired as a directing duo around that time, 2011 and 12. Mm-hmm. They um, decided to kind of part ways. I read this really kind of beautiful, kind of sad interview with Jay Duplass from maybe The New Yorker or something last year where he addressed it for the first time and just said, yeah, look, uh, we love each other and we want to support each other's work, but it's just too hard trying to work together all these years later. We're old now. We both have different stuff going on. And he kind of framed it as like Mark got really successful as an actor and started appearing in other people's stuff. Mm. And he had Jay had less going on and he found himself getting jealous of Mark's workload and it was unhealthy for their relationship. So he decided they both decided to kind of sever ties a little bit in that way to stop jealousy. And um and now I guess Jay is like just as busy as Mark probably. He acts in a million fucking things as well. Yeah. Directs a lot of Does he still direct? Yeah, he directs TV. I don't think Mark has directed anything in a long time. Don't, but I feel like he's very creatively involved in what he makes. And they run a production company together and they constantly have stuff coming out. But I think I was, you know, I kind of remembered Jeff who lives at home as being very sweet and cute. And it is those things. But it's also funnier than I remembered it being. Mm. And um, I was just, like, really enjoying it because I forgot that the main, <laughs> the main like, drive of the character Jeff, played by Jason Segel, is that he's obsessed with the movie Signs by M. Night Shyamalan. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> and he's looking for his own signs in real life. And I just forgot about that. And that's just a fun character to follow like a stoner who loves signs and who's like looking for his own deeper meaning in the world in that way it's quite cool oh wow that's awesome hey i um i'll give you a recommendation on the back of that uh i interviewed the director mel eslin who directed the mark duplass film biosphere Uh, and with jay and mark she's like the co-president of the duplass brothers uh production company 
Um, so I, you know, I hosted a screening and a talk with her for her film at MIF this year, and she's got this new film called Biosphere. It's Mark Duplass. Yeah, it looks cool. Sterling K. Brown, right? Yeah. Sterling K. Brown. That's the whole film. It's just the two of them are two-hander. I won't really say anything about it because I think it's a movie that really rewards going in knowing very little about it. Um, it is a two-hander. It's apocalyptic. And uh, what I kind of talked about it as when I was talking to her, I was like, it felt like a spectual, speculative fiction evolution of one of my very favorite movies, Hump Day, which is like Mark Duplass and Joshua Leonard. Mm. All-time favorite movie for me, um, uh, directed by the great... Lynn Shelton? Yeah, directed by the great Lynn Shelton. Um, and when I told uh, Mel that, she was like, yeah, we're kind of conscious of that. And she said that's a movie that means a lot because it was the first film that she worked on with the Duplass brothers. And it was also a film that she met her partner while making. Mm. And um, I was just like, I really, uh, I just really liked this movie a lot. And I really valued getting to talk to her about it as much as I could without like kind of breaking, you know, people's experiences of having to discover what the journey of this film is. Um, But it's really good. I would recommend both those movies to everybody. Like definitely everybody watch Hump Day and Biosphere is kind of, might have finished its theatrical run, but uh, so it'll probably be on VOD eventually soon. Yeah, Hump Day rules. I saw the trailer for Biosphere the other day. It looks like right up my alley. I love this shit. It's very good. It's been a while since I've gone back on these, like these movies, this like era that people call Mumblecore was all I was into when we first started Mm -hmm. podcasting. And it's been a long time since I've gone back in on them. And I just found it very rewarding to return to this stuff. It's it's really inspiring to see what people can do with fuck all money. <laughs> Dude, we awesome. should do a Mumblecore episode of mm. special features because that was key to me because that, that movement really started just when I was finishing high school and I really wanted to be a filmmaker and we had all of them at the fucking video store I worked mm. at. So, I was fully into Mumblecore. So much so, you know, when I, a couple of weeks ago, we did our Kevin Smith episode, how I talked about like, you know, Kevin Smith doesn't care what his movies look like. I was really talking about Mumblecore because I wanted to be a Mumblecore filmmaker. It was all about the dialogue and being like, you know, reality driven kind of thing, that Cassavetes-esque shit. Yeah. I was like, I don't care what they look like. I just want to fucking feel real and feel awesome. <laughs> And then it's like, yeah, but you watch Cassavetes, the guys, some of the best looking movies ever. You're like, oh, fuck. Okay. Well, I guess I got to change my shit up. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> oh, we should definitely do a Mumblecore episode. I would love that. Absolutely. We will. Anyway, I think that brings us to the end of the episode. Yes, I think it does. October 9th. It's a Monday. Uh, mm. I'm hosting a screening of Rage and Placid Lake with Ben Lee. It's like a 20th yeah. anniversary screening. So it's going to be real that's cool. Sick gonna be real fun yeah so that's sick i love that movie that's fucking great great movie great movie you're gonna be performing at the just for laughs gala i am i've actually never played the just for laughs galas before i know i'm so excited for you dude yeah i'm very excited too it's something that i've always wanted to be a part of um over the years and i'm very happy to be involved in them so november 15 i'm playing the 
musical comedy gala for Just for Laughs alongside Tom Cardi and Gillian Cosgriff and another artist who I don't know if I'm allowed to say, but I will say anyway because who cares? Cat Cohen is playing oh, yeah, on it awesome. as well. Awesome. Very exciting. And I'm on the um, Sydney Opera House gala as well on November 18. And that is with Becky Lucas and um, Sam Taunton and several others. They're they're so cool. I feel very lucky to be involved in them. Hosted by Melanie Bracewell. Very stoked for that. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, if you're in Sydney, I'd love it if you'd come along to one of those shows. Um, and seeing as I'm plugging things that are happening in November, I may as well say I'm also coming to Perth on um, the 3rd and 4th of November. So, if you're, uh, you know, if you're in Perth, come along to one of those shows. I'll put all the details up on my Instagram. Well, thank you for joining us. We love you very much and have a splendid weekend when it arrives because I know this podcast comes out not that close to the weekend, but hold your time. Hold it within yep. you and when the weekend begins, think about us and think about how good we wanted that weekend to be for you. You know what I like to sometimes call it is the freakend. The freakend weekend. <laughs> so maybe think of it in that way. And if you start calling it the freakend, that'll make you inspired to do something freaky and perhaps a little bit naughty on the weekend. Yeah, like trying a new sexual position with your partner. Yeah, or a different <laughs> flavor of Ben and Jerry's ice cream or something. Yeah, or <laughs> that point of ice cream. <laughs> oh my God, this guy's horny. <laughs> uh, thank you very much. We love you. Please don't fuck the ice cream. Bye. <laughs>